First Kings chapter 8. Two weeks ago, before our business meeting, we looked at First uh, Kings chapter 3, where the Lord appeared to Solomon and asked him to, or said to Solomon, ask me whatever you want. And uh, Solomon, uh, in his request, actually demonstrated great wisdom. Uh, He ends up asking for wisdom, but even uh, the fact that he asked as he asked uh, demonstrated uh, a level of wisdom that is exemplary for us. And so uh, Solomon was thinking on his responsibilities as the king of Israel and you know, so his God-given responsibilities and recognizing uh, his dependence on the Lord, that he, his words were that I am, I am but a child. I don't know how to go out or to come in. And so he's asking the Lord for wisdom uh, to fulfill those responsibilities. And so really a tremendous example for us. Um, one of the tasks that uh, Solomon's father, David, charged him with and had provided uh, the material for uh, was the construction of a temple, uh, a house, a huge uh, structure made of stone and uh, finished off with cedar lining inside and ends up uh, being overlaid with gold, uh, the walls and ceiling and everything inside, beautiful uh, structure, I'm sure but uh, one that was dedicated to uh, the worship of the Lord. And so in 1 Kings chapter 8, we have the record of the completion of that building, well, I guess into chapter 7 and so on. Um, And in chapter 8, we have uh, the testimony of its dedication. And so this uh, took place... uh, at the time of the Feast of Tabernacles, the seventh month. Uh, so in that month, uh, there was there were a number of things. There's the Feast of Trumpets on the first day, on the tenth day, the Day of Atonement. And then on the fifteenth day, uh, running for eight days, uh, is the Feast of Tabernacles. And so verse 2 tells us uh, that it was that feast uh, when the men of Israel, uh, the nation was gathered. And again, that was one of three occasions uh, in which all of the nation was supposed to gather in uh, Jerusalem, uh, the place where the Lord would appoint, which at that time was Jerusalem. And so uh, Solomon uses this gathering of the whole nation Uh, to uh, dedicate the temple. And um, we won't read all of uh, the account here, but I want to uh, dip in starting at verse 22. And Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the congregation of Israel And spread forth his hands toward heaven. And he said, Lord God of Israel. Okay, so let's pause there for just a minute. So again, if you think of the structure of the temple and the tabernacle prior to it, 
you had the the perimeter, uh, which was uh, a wall of curtains in Moses' day, but then it would have been a stone wall around the perimeter. You come through the doors, and there were doors on four sides uh, to enter into that courtyard. And then as you, if you came in the east door, uh, you would uh, come into the courtyard and then you would have seen uh, the brazen altar. Uh, so that stood in front of the temple itself. Uh, there would have been the, the laver for the priests to wash uh, their hands and feet as they came and approached to minister. And then, of course, uh, the temple is in behind it, and then it's inside the temple proper that you had the candlesticks, the table of showbread, um, the veil separating the holy of holies, and the altar of incense, and then the we sang about the mercy seat. And, of course, that was that gold covering for the Ark of the Covenant, and inside that ark, uh, that box that was uh, made of acacia wood and covered over with gold, inside that box was um, the two tables of stone uh, written with the finger of God that God uh, had provided for Moses. And uh, so that's you know the basic furniture of the temple. So this is telling us that Solomon is in that courtyard, and of course that's where the people would have been gathered. Uh, only the priests were allowed to go into the temple proper. Um, and so in the courtyard uh, is Solomon the king, and of course the people are gathered, and uh, here Solomon uh, stands and spreads his hands toward heaven, and verse 23 says, And he said, Lord God of Israel, so obviously what Solomon is doing is he is praying, right? And uh, this prayer is recorded at some length. And in fact, uh, I believe we run down to verse uh, 54 says, and it was so that when Solomon had made an end of praying all this prayer and supplication unto the Lord, he arose from before the altar of the Lord from kneeling on his knees with his hands spread up to heaven. All right. So, so we've got this record of this prayer uh, that Solomon is making. And uh, we are going to look at uh, some of the details of that. But, but so I want you to, to think of this occasion this uh, temple, the structure, had been a number of years in the making. And uh, now it is finally completed. And this is uh, one of the first uh, official uses of that temple. And in, on that occasion, we have the king of Israel praying to the Lord. Now notice verse 23 uh, in its entirety what he prays, or at least the, the beginning. Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on the earth beneath who keeps covenant and mercy with your servants that walk before you with all their heart. 
who hast kept with thy servant David, my father, that you promised him. Uh, you spake also with your mouth and hast fulfilled it with your hand as it is this day. Now therefore, Lord God of Israel, keep with thy servant David my father that thou promised him, saying, There shall not fail thee a man in my sight to sit on the throne of Israel, so that thy children take heed to their way, that they walk before me as thou hast walked before me. And uh, then he says, And now, O God of Israel, let your word, I pray thee, be verified, which thou spakest unto thy servant David, my father. Right? So, so here's the opening of this prayer that he makes. And I would draw attention to the fact that he starts by acknowledging and recognizing that God is entirely unique. There is no God like you. You could look through heaven above. You could look through earth beneath and you won't find one like God. Right? And now, w- with that thought, where could you go with that? Right? You could go to any of the attributes of God and look at those attributes and say, yep, he's unique. Right? There's no God like that God. And here's this aspect of his his character and his power and his glory and all of those things, right? So uh, God, he's acknowledging this uniqueness, this greatness, this majesty and excellence of God himself. But in particular, it is God's covenant-keeping and mercy to his servants that Solomon is drawing attention to. Right? So as he's praying this prayer before the Lord, he's saying, Lord, there's no one like you, especially when I think of the way you keep your promises, your covenant, and you show mercy to your servants. And he has, of course, his father David in mind and the promise that God made to his father David uh, and he recited that. We didn't read the verses, uh, but he recited that. Look at verse 15. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, which spoke with his mouth unto David my father, and hath with his hand fulfilled it. And then he goes on and recounts some of what God had promised, right? About um, that David's son would build the temple and so on, right? And so he's very much aware of the fact that God spoke, he spoke promises to his father, and God has fulfilled those promises. And that's a testimony to God's faithfulness to covenant and his mercy toward his servants. And then, of course, he's asking the Lord, verse 25, to keep keeping his promises, right? And, of course, uh, God had in the Davidic covenant, had said that David would have a son that would sit upon the throne forever. And of course, we know from New Testament revelation that that promise is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to the flesh, is son of David, many generations removed, but nonetheless, 
a, a descendant, a physical descendant of David, but of course is also uh, son of God. He's deity, right? Virgin born, uh, that miraculous birth where the Holy Spirit came upon Mary and uh, she conceived in her womb a human child, right? And he's counted as a physical descendant of David, but of course he is also son of God. Uh, so here, though, De- uh, Solomon is asking the Lord to remember that promise, which, of course, we know that the Lord did. Now, the other thing that is interesting is what follows that. So that's sort of the introduction, right? He's acknowledging God's uniqueness, especially in his keeping covenant and his mercy, asking the Lord to continue to show mercy to David, his father. And then he says... Verse 27, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. How much less this house that I have builded. Yet... Have thou respect unto the prayer of your servant and to his supplication, O Lord my God, to hearken unto the cry and to the prayer which your servant prays before you today. Okay, so let's pause on that for a minute. So, so again, he's, he's back to thinking of God's greatness. And he's saying, you know, is God indeed going to dwell on the earth? I mean, I built this house, right? But is God indeed going to dwell on the earth? The heavens and the heavens of heavens, right? Couldn't contain him, right? Much less this house. And then he says, yet, Lord, would you have respect unto this prayer that I am praying Would you listen to the cry of the prayer, which I am praying before you today? And then verse 29, that your eyes may be open toward this house night and day, even toward the place of which you have said, my name shall be there, that you may hearken unto the prayer which your servant shall make toward this place. And hearken thou to the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they shall pray toward this place. And hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. And then we will, uh, not tonight, but we will in the future, look at uh, uh, more of of the, the parts of this prayer. But my point is initially here to draw our attention to the fact here you have this magnificent structure that is built. Uh, and, and again, not that any earthly structure would ever really truly be adequate uh, to convey uh, what the Lord is worthy of. But nonetheless, this is the plan uh, that uh, God had given to David and David had given to his son and Solomon has arranged to have it built. And this is where the Lord, as verse uh, 29 says, the Lord said, my name shall be there. And what is so interesting is that he is 
he is dedicating that place with prayer. And one of the distinguishing features of the prayer, aside from acknowledging God and his greatness and his uniqueness and so on, is that he's asking God to hear prayer. And that gets repeated. I stopped at verse 30, but look at verse 31, just for example. If any man trespass against his neighbor and an oath be laid upon him to cause him to swear and the oath come before thine altar in this house, then hear thou in heaven. Right? Look at verse 34. Then hear thou in heaven. Verse 36. Then hear thou in heaven. Right? And we could go on, right? But you get the point, right? So one of the main subject matters of the prayer is asking that the Lord would hear prayer. So here you have this this place. And if you think about it, that place was unique in all the earth. There was no other place that God had said, my name will be there. This is the only place at that time, right? I mean, obviously there was a tabernacle before, but but that's now replaced with this building. Right? And so as this building is dedicated, it is dedicated with a prayer, and the chief subject matter of the prayer is, Lord, would you hear our prayers? So turn with me to Matthew 21. And let's hear what David's son says. Matthew chapter 21, verse 12. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And if you would turn then to Isaiah chapter 56. That's where it's written. Okay, so you have the Lord Jesus, you know, disrupting the goings on in that temple. Uh, of course, it wasn't Solomon's temple because that was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. It was rebuilt uh, after the exile, and then Herod sort of rebuilt again. Uh, but nonetheless, it is the temple. It was the then edition of the house of God, and Jesus is saying, "It is written, my house." shall be called a house of prayer. And in Isaiah chapter 56, notice this. Um, how, how far? I know it's verse 7, but how far back to go? Let's start at verse 3. Uh, Neither the son of the stranger that hath joined himself to the Lord, speak, saying, The Lord has utterly separated me from his people. Neither let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. 
For thus saith the Lord unto the eunuchs that keep my Sabbaths and choose the things that please me and take hold of my covenant, even unto them will I give in mine house and within my walls a place and a name better than of sons and of daughters, and I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Also the sons of the stranger that join themselves unto the Lord to serve him, so we're talking Gentiles, and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone that keeps the Sabbath from polluting it and takes hold of my covenant, even them will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon my altar, for mine house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. And uh, so what is so interesting is when you think of a place, though that place can't contain the Lord, nonetheless, there was a place where the Lord was pleased to put his name there and the Lord has repeatedly in his word gone on record that that place is to be known as a house of prayer. And it is to be known as that not just for the physical descendants of, of Israel, but for all nations. Right? And so the idea is that the Lord is pleased to be talked to. Right? He is pleased to have us come and approach unto him. Right? And of all of the other things that would, were to take place in that house. And by the way, you know, when Jesus casts out these people, they're buying and selling in the temple and the money changers and those that are selling doves. All of that had to do with you know, the sacrifices that were supposed to be offered, right? And they had their the way they were doing it and getting animals and all of that kind of stuff. But really it was a making merchandise of it, right? And, and, and all of that really, not that, I mean, the Lord had required the sacrifices. He had commanded the sacrifices and all of that. But the sacrifices were not an end in themselves, right? The Lord wanted to be worshipped. And he wanted the heart of people to come before him, to speak to him in prayer, to let their requests be made known unto him. And one of the very interesting things that we'll see, uh, Lord willing, in a future study in Solomon's dedicatory prayer, he's, he's aware of the fact that we have a sin problem. And again and again, he's saying, Lord, would you hear from heaven and would you forgive their sin? Lord, would you hear from heaven and would you forgive their sin? There's not a man that doesn't sin. He says that. Solomon says that. right? And so the idea is that here is this God. And when Solomon made that place out of all of the places on the earth, this one place where the Lord's name was there, it was the Lord's intent that people would come to that place, even people from strangers from other nations would come to that place and they would worship him and they would ask that he would forgive their sins and he promises to forgive their sins and so on. And so it's a very interesting emphasis right? that we don't want to lose. 
that the Lord is pleased to have his people approach unto him in prayer. And uh, I mean, you know, not just to ask for forgiveness of sins. Obviously, that's a necessary part of our approach unto the Lord, uh, but to cast all of our care upon him. He is a good God. He is a gracious God. He is a God who keeps his covenants. He is a God who shows mercy to his servants. And all of that to encourage us to pray. Right? So let's do that.